Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Can you believe it's already Christmas time? It passes by so fast. You know, this is the time of year when we give and receive gifts, and um, we're talking to our kids about kind of the purpose of Christmas and the meaning, and one of the things we're doing is this year we're trying to give our kids just three gifts, and we're telling them, you know, Jesus only got three gifts, so why should you get more? So... We'll see how well that goes. But speaking of gifts, um, I received this value pack lighters in my mailbox this morning. For those of you who weren't here last week, last Sunday, um, I told the story how um, I caught my hair on fire in the grill. So this was a, an anonymous gag gift. So maybe I can keep my hair for a little while. So... This, this Christmas season, we're going to be taking you guys through all the characters of Christmas. From the birth narrative of Jesus, to the wise men, to the shepherds, and everything in between. So I want to encourage you guys, uh, these next few weeks, to really invite your friends. Inside your bulletin is three invite cards, and we'll be providing these each week so you can invite your friends. This is the one time of year when people who normally wouldn't go to church will come to church. So I would encourage you guys to invite people, and um, that'll be an exciting time. If you will, please pray with me, and we'll jump into the Word today. Father, we thank you so much for this special Advent season. Lord, it's a time of great joy for many, and it's also a time of great sadness for others, as loved ones are not here with them this year that were last year. So God, I pray for peace and comfort upon those who are in a time of sorrow, And Lord, I pray for those who this is a magical time that they would just realize the true meaning behind all of the symbols, that it's Jesus Christ and his birth and his life. So, Father, as we look into your word this morning, speak to our hearts and help us to understand it. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's children said, amen. Before we jump into our text today, I want to tell you guys a true story. In fact, it's so true, I'm going to disguise some of the names because you guys will know this couple and want to keep some of the details out so you won't guess who this couple is. But Jack and Jill were amazing sweethearts. They grew up together and they were best friends. And they they were the high school sweethearts that everyone knew would get married, have two and a half kids or three, and have the white picket fence, all of that. So they, they got married And a year passed by, and they would see their family and friends, and they kept getting asked this question, when are you guys going to have kids? So they're like, well, we're just waiting on the Lord. Whenever he gives us kids, we're excited. Two years passes by, the same question. Three years, five years. At the five-year mark, Jack was really brokenhearted. Every time someone asked that question, so when are you guys going to have kids? He wanted to go crawl under a log, because he was so discouraged. Ten years passes by, everyone stops asking the question. In fact, after the ten-year mark, people started asking questions like, I wonder if this is because Jack was wild in his high school days. I wonder if Jill's been faithful to her husband. Why can't they have kids? So 20 years passes by, and the suspicion grows deeper and greater. And all of a sudden, something unusual happens. Jill feels something a little different inside her stomach, and it's not normal. So she takes one of those little pregnancy tests, and it has the plus symbol, pregnant. 
So by this time, she's well up in her 40s at least. She may be pushing 50. And she tells Jack, Jack, I got something to tell you. You won't believe this, but I'm pregnant. And he's like, are you sure? Uh, let's, let's go take another test. Let's get a doctor's confirmation. It's been over 20 years, hon. I, the test must be a defect. And she said, well, it's 99.9% positive. I mean, it's got it's to be right. So everything is confirmed. And the people celebrate. They, they cannot believe. The same people that had suspicious questions are now rejoicing. A huge party is thrown. And this was one of the greatest times of their life. You know, this story is actually true, and it's found in Luke chapter 1. And the details are a little different, but we're going to talk about that today. Their names are not Jack and Jill, but Zacharias and Elizabeth. So we're going to read uh, quite a lengthy portion of Scripture, if you guys will follow along in your listening guide. And just a little preview of today, we're going to talk about this couple that could not have kids and how that must have been so discouraging. And we're going to talk about you and your struggles. How do you overcome discouragement? How do you turn doubt into destiny? We're going to talk about eight principles that will really encourage you from this story. And we're going to close with four personal applications to your life. So the theme today is how to turn doubt into destiny. So as we look at this text, a big question I want you to ponder is how do I respond when it seems like God is not responding? How do I respond when God's not responding? So if you will start in your scripture, Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they both were well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So a little pause there. This was a special occasion. And whenever they would go into the holy place, uh, the priests would burn an incense. And this was symbolic of all the prayers of the people of Israel. The prayers for, for God's healing, God's forgiveness, God's grace. And verse 10 picks up, And the whole multitude of the people were, was outside praying at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, how would you guys, before we go into verse 13, how would you guys feel if you were at a prayer, special prayer meeting, and let's say you were the minister, it was your time to do the duty, the prayer offering, and an angel shows up? I don't know about you, but that would be like, oh, what's going on here? So verse 13 picks up, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he shall neither drink wine nor strong drink. And he will also be filled with the spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And notice Zacharias' response, verse 18. He said to the angel, how can I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Now, he wasn't smart for doubting God's word, but he was smart for not calling his wife old. You notice that in the text. He said, I'm old. My wife's getting a little older. Smart man. Verse 19, and the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it's the idea of a preacher who can't talk. They're like, there must be something up with this. I mean, every pastor, there's an audience and he's speechless. Okay, something's up. Must have seen a vision. So verse 23, and so it was, as soon as his days of service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after these days, Elizabeth conceived... And she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about when God turns your misery into a miracle. And we're going to talk about Zacharias and Elizabeth's story. But woven within that story, you guys will see your story. Because a lot of the principles that apply to them will apply to many of us. And God will help us to see, no matter what you're going through, God can do something great this Christmas in your life. Amen. So principle number one, if you'll notice, they were both godly people who were walking with the Lord. Verses five and six, obviously Zacharias is a priest, and Elizabeth was of the descendants of Aaron, so she was what we would say a priest's daughter, and today's terminology would say she's a pastor's kid. So they, they both were serving the Lord. They both were passionate about the things of God. Um, they, they both were righteous. The scripture says they were people of faith. It says they were walking in all the commandments of the Lord, blameless. So it sets up this ideal couple, which if you think of all the couples, why is this couple not able to have a child? You'd think, right, in this day and time, they would be able to have. So Zechariah, his name means God remembers. And Elizabeth's name means his oath. So when you put, when they got married, I want you to see this name. Zechariah and Elizabeth, their name together means God remembers his oath. Isn't that cool? Whenever they got married, God remembers married his oath. And it meant God remembers his oath. What was God's oath? Well, there's many different possibilities, but one is the oath of his promise of the coming Savior. The whole Bible points to the coming Savior. And at the end of Malachi, it prophesied someone that would be the forerunner of the Savior, which we're going to find out. That's who John became as the forerunner. So they both were godly people. So you wouldn't expect this couple to be having so many problems. Number two, their greatest dream as a couple had turned into a great nightmare. Ladies, I want to talk to you for just a moment. What do you think Elizabeth's greatest dream was when she got married? To have a family, right? To have children. As many women, that's their dream. But her dream, her happily ever after, turned into great sorrow. In this day and time, 
obviously this wasn't um, something we would say was great about this culture, but this, this culture was kind of a shame culture. And whenever someone couldn't get pregnant, um, in many of the Jewish communities, they looked down upon you. They, they thought, you know, here was, here was kind of their understanding. And obviously this not in the Bible, but this was their culture. The understanding was if, if you're doing well in life, if you're financially prosperous, if you're in good health, it must mean you're right with God. If everything's right in the world, it must mean that you're favorable with God. So people who had a lot of money, they must have been very well off with God. The people who were struggling and sick, well, it means there may be something wrong with their life. And Jesus obviously went against that teaching and said, you know, some things happen so that God's glory can be manifested. So Elizabeth, and we see this in the following verses, towards verses 24 and 25 and following, that she experienced shame because people look down upon her. Why can't you get pregnant? So this dream turned into a nightmare. And in this culture, as, as I was reading this, I was kind of reminded and shocked that not only was it shame, but in some Jewish circles, you could even divorce your spouse if she didn't bring forth children. Could you imagine that? So it wasn't just shame, but it was like you, you could, in some culture, it was accepted to divorce. Not in God's sight, but in the culture's sight. So what do you do when your dream turns into a nightmare? And many listening to this message today, you started off life as a, as a five-year-old, as a ten-year-old. You had great dreams, hopes, and aspirations. But somewhere along the way, life happened and your dream turned into a nightmare. So what do you do when your great dreams turn into great problems? I'm glad you asked that question. Number three, God gave Zacharias a ray of hope in the midst of his sadness. If you read verses 8 through 10, this is something that happened once in a lifetime. And on your listening guide, there's a little typo. It's the holy place. Zacharias, what happened was whenever uh, it was your time to serve, you would go and serve. They, they branched it down into 24 divisions of the priesthood. So basically they would serve for one week, twice a year. And I was thinking as a pastor, wouldn't that be interesting if I preach twice a year at a church, uh, you know, it's like, all right, it's your time to preach, Timothy, you know, that, that would be kind of different, but they would stay in the temple for seven days, they would offer sacrifices, um, they, they would do the role of the priest twice a year, and so his time came, and they would cast lots, which today's culture, like, what is a lot? Um, it would be a way of discerning God's plan for what would happen, so whenever your lot was chosen, you had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense. So isn't it interesting that in God's sovereignty and providence that his lot came and he was able to go into the holy place and burn this incense? Once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies and you know, have a special time with the Lord, but the, the priest would have just one opportunity in their lifetime to go into the holy place. So Zacharias, his opportunity came. This was the hour of incense, it says in verse 10, that came twice a day, usually around 9 in the morning and around 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. So God showed Zacharias an opportunity. So if we could put this in our context, when you think back to your career, for those of you who are working now, imagine the highest pinnacle of success. Imagine the opportunity once in a lifetime. I was thinking from a guy's perspective, you know, it, it, this would be like you got the position that you always dreamed of you know um, if you're an athlete this would be like going to the olympics or for those men who like f- 
football. This would be like going to the what? The Super Bowl. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to burn incense before the Lord. It was a special time when people would offer prayers. I mean, this was just, it's hard for us to understand, not in the Jewish culture, but it was a special time. So God saw this man who had so much disappointment in his personal life and said, I'm going to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. You're going to burn incense. Notice what happens next. Number four, God sent a messenger to deliver a message of promise. If you look at verses 11 through 17, uh, we see this angel appears. Does anybody remember his name? Gabriel. You know what the name Gabriel means? Gabriel means strong one of God or hero of God. I love that. That's why we named our son Gabriel. It means hero of God. So here you have this messenger angel that appears to Zacharias, who's God's messenger for the people. And he's burning this incense. The people are praying. And Gabriel appears to him and says, your prayer has been heard. And here's something I don't know from the text. It's just my speculation. The prayer obviously was about him having a child. But the question I have, and the scripture doesn't answer this, but which prayer was it? Was it the one he prayed when he first got married? Or was he still praying it? We don't really know. Um, It could go either way. But imagine this, that God doesn't forget your prayers. Even if Zacharias had forgotten to pray along the way and maybe he got discouraged because, I mean, they were all already past the possibility of having a child. My personal thinking is this is Zacharias' prayers back in the day. I love the fact that God hears your prayers and then he answers them in his own time. So here's, here's the mystery for some of you guys. Did you realize that some of the prayers you prayed even 20 years ago, God hasn't forgotten about them, it's just not been his time to answer it? And that's the truth we see with Zacharias. He had prayed this so many times. I could just imagine after the first year of marriage, God, okay, we're ready to have a child. Five years of marriage, ten years, and eventually along the way, you're like, okay, we can no longer have children. And we see this in the Bible um, God's promises. Now notice about John, if you read verses 11 through 17, it says that John will be great in the sight of God. It says that he wouldn't drink wine or strong drink. And you're like, what is that talking about? Well, some scholars think this is parallel to the Nazarite vow, or basically they wouldn't drink alcohol, they wouldn't cut their hair, they wouldn't touch dead bodies. And all this was an idea of separation, that I'm separated to the Lord and I'm going to have a special purpose. So when you see God calling John, do you know what John's name means? This is not in your notes. But John means God is gracious. Isn't that a perfect name for not having a child and all of a sudden God giving you John? It means God is gracious. So this is is a question for everybody. How many months when Elizabeth found out did she get away for? Five months. And it's interesting. I didn't think about this till the way to church this morning, I was thinking about, okay, why five months? I'm not a woman. Don't pretend to understand the mind of a woman. And all the guys said, amen. But if, if someone got pregnant, why would you get away for five months? Because she's excited. She said, God has taken away my reproach. We don't really know. All we can do is speculate. But I do know this. Five is the number for grace in the Bible. And I just find it interesting that John means God is gracious And she got away for five months. And we don't know, but perhaps she was preparing herself for this forerunner of the Messiah. Perhaps she was getting ready for what God was going to do. And God was speaking through Gabriel. But notice Zacharias' response. 
Did he believe God immediately or did he doubt? Notice that he doubted God. And the angel basically said, I'm Gabriel, I'm sent from God. And because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak. Now, how many teachers do we have in here? School teachers, people that speak, salesmen. I mean, we've got a lot of people that use their mouth. Imagine, imagine someone that speaks for a living, not able to talk at all. What would you do? A pastor that cannot speak. It's like, well, I'm going to start a whiteboard ministry. Maybe that's where the uh, what was it the felt boards came across. I can't talk, but here's Abraham, here's Isaac. I don't, I don't know what he was thinking. But God took away his ability to talk. So you have the one who's supposed to proclaim God's word doesn't believe God's word. So his ability to proclaim God's word is no longer there verbally. So some of us today, as we look at this, we're reminded that God speaks to us when we least expect it. And if you look at this time when the angel appears, um, this is after what biblical scholars have called the 400 years of silence, the silent years. And what they mean by that, from Malachi to the Gospel of Matthew, when we see the New Testament coming along, there was at least 400 years where there's no recorded word from God. And a lot was happening in history. A lot of things from Daniel's prophecy was being fulfilled. But all of a sudden... When it seemed like God was silent, God is now speaking. And I think that's true with their life. Sometimes it seems like God is silent, but it doesn't mean he's not working. He's working behind the scenes. He's working in and through your life. So I want to encourage you today. Some of you have great problems, but God can give you a great promise for every great problem you have. Amen. So how do we understand God's timing? And this is in your listening guide, like, it's like God works in ways mysteriously, you know, like Zacharias and Elizabeth pray and like God didn't answer it in their timing, right? It was many years after they were able to conceive. So here's a few principles on your outline. There's six basic principles. We see the present while God sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow all at the same time. You ever thought about that? We see today from what limited perspective, you kind of know your schedule, but God says I see past, present, and future simultaneously. So you have to trust my timing. You're only seeing a little small square inch of the picture. I see all of eternity. Number two, we are normally in a hurry, but God is never in a rush. Have you ever noticed Jesus, who basically had the weight of the world on his shoulders, at least we, we think he would carry that? It seems like he was at peace until the end of his ministry when he was praying. You know, but he seems like he was at peace throughout it. And he was never in a rush. I mean, and I look at that and I'm just like, he was, he was the savior of the world. He never was in a rush. Why are we so hurried through life? Why are we going through the rat race when God says, just walk in my peace. Trust in me. Can I get an uh-huh? Number three, we see one day while God sees a thousand years. Similar to point one. We see one day, but God sees a thousand years. So just trust his timing. Number four, we want God to answer a prayer when we are ready, but he answers your prayers not only when you're ready, but when everything else is ready. So in Zacharias and Elizabeth's case, God is preparing them. John the Baptist was not meant to come on the scene until just a few months before Christ was born because he was the forerunner. So if he was born much sooner, it wouldn't have been the right timing. God was aligning everything 
for the advent of his son, Jesus Christ, to the world. So John had to come right, just right before Jesus to be the forerunner. Number five, it's been said before, and I think this is so true. When you can't trace God's hand, trust his heart. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And number six, most of us say seeing is believing. Faith flips it, and faith says believing is seeing. You may not be able to see it, but you have to believe it. And if you believe it in God's time, you will see God's promises. All right, number five. These are truths that will help you turn your doubt into your destiny. Number five, Zacharias doubted God's word for himself and lost his ability to proclaim God's word to others. So when we think about doubt, we think about obstacles. We think about challenges. And surely this Christmas season, many of us have doubt, we have obstacles, we have troubles. Let me read you a little poetic note written by Pastor Gregory Dawson. He says, doubt sees the obstacles, faith sees the way. Doubt sees the darkest night, faith sees the day. Doubt takes, dreads to take a step, faith soars on high. Doubt questions who believes, faith answers it is I. So are you and I doubting with the doubters or are we believing with the believers? You're either going to be doubting with the doubters or believing with the believers. I don't know about you, but I want to believe. Christmas is all about believing. Christmas is all about knowing that God can do the impossible. He likes to take his magic eraser and erase I am off impossible, making impossible possible. But we have to believe with the believers, not doubt with the doubters. Amen. I think about it like this. God spoke and all the cosmos were, came into being. He's the God who breathes out stars. Have you ever thought about that? God can breathe out stars. If you trust the one who can breathe and stars are created, don't you think God can speak and everything in your world can change in just a moment? In just one moment, he can turn your madness into a miracle. In just one moment, he can turn your tragedy into a triumph. But we have to believe with the believers, not doubt with the doubters. Can I get a uh uh-huh? Number six. God turned Elizabeth's nightmare into a dream come true. So back to the ladies. What was Elizabeth's nightmare again? She couldn't have kids. Everybody, not everybody, but many were looking down on her. Shame, reproach. Um, She just didn't understand what was going on. If you look at verse 24, it says, Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me, notice this phrase, to take away my reproach among people. And I don't know what you're dealing with right now, but many of us deal with shame and reproach. And I'm here to tell you today that in Christ there's no condemnation. In Christ, he takes away all your guilt, shame, and reproach. But you have to give it to him. And the reason why we celebrate Christmas like we do is Jesus came to take away shame. Jesus came to take away sin. Jesus came to take away the hurts of your past. So that with Elizabeth, you can say, he's taken away my shame. He's taken away my reproach. Amen. Now, here's a did you know in my study. I didn't realize this, but in the Bible... This is barrenness in the Bible. There are at least seven women that the Bible says were barren. And six out of the seven went on to have kids. 
And those six became amazing people of God. Um, the first one we see was Abraham and Sarah. And we see that Isaac came out of that. The second one was Rebecca. She had prayed. Um, she was barren, I believe it was for 20 years. And it says in the Bible that her husband petitioned for, for her to have a child. And not only did she have one, she had two. So you might know, remember them? Jacob and Esau. And then we have Rachel. She couldn't have children. And then God gave her Joseph and Benjamin. We see Samson's mother. She couldn't conceive and miraculously she conceived and brought forth Samson, who became the strongest man who ever lived and a judge of Israel. We see David's wife, Michael. And notice uh, she's the only one that doesn't conceive. But you remember the story of her in the Bible? She got upset at David for dancing before the Lord and just really had a bitter spirit. Elizabeth, um, we see in this text how she conceived and brought forth, as we're talking about, John the Baptist. But in each of these cases, when God granted the child, that child became someone special that impacted the course of history. Number seven, their test turned into a testimony. And I want to encourage you today that Zacharias and Elizabeth's story can be your story. And it may not be barren as it may be something else, but all of us go through tests that eventually God can turn into a testimony. I was reading a story, um, it's unverified from World War II, but it's, it's out there a lot. It's about a U.S. Marine, and he was stationed on a Pacific island. The fighting had become so intense that through the smoke and the gunpowder and everything going on, he got lost. So as he was going through the Pacific island, the enemy troops were chasing him down, and he was running for his life. The only place he could find was this little cave. And so he crawled up into the small little cave, and he could hear the crunching of the leaves. The enemy's troops were getting closer and closer. And he offered up a prayer to God. He said, God, I don't know if this is my time, but if it be your will, deliver me, rescue me. So all of a sudden he was praying and the, the enemy troops were getting closer and closer. He began to doubt. He said, maybe, maybe it's my time to go to be with the Lord. So he was praying through it all. The next thing he knew, a spider was started weaving a web through the cave. And just in a matter of moments, a matter of minutes, the spider covered the entire cave. And as the enemy troops walked by, he's like, oops, they're going to get me now. They didn't go into the cave because they saw the spider web. And it told the enemy troops that no one had gone in that cave over a long time. So they, they left him and they went on. And according to his story, I want to read you the quote from the story. He prayed, Lord, forgive me. I had forgotten that in you... A spider web is stronger than a brick wall. Isn't it interesting how God rescues and answers prayers in ways that we didn't think of? And I think that's what Christmas is all about, believing that Jesus came, that he came to give you life and it more abundantly, that he came to rescue you. That's what the Christmas story is all about. Only God can transform a mess into a message, a test into a testimony, a trial into a triumph. And a victim into victory. Can I get an amen? And finally, the last point before we go into application. Look at Zechariah's progression of faith. And we didn't have time to go in verses 59 through 66. But you can read that on your own. But his unbelief transformed into faith. And his faith turned into sight. So we see the story how he didn't, well, God showed me a sign. He didn't really understand 
what and why and how. And Gabriel said, you're going to be speechless until John is born. And you remember when they gave him the, the writing pad to see what's the name of the son? He wrote down John. And they're like, why John? And all of a sudden, God opened his mouth and then he started preaching. Just like a preacher, right? All the crowds there, he just goes off and he praises God. So what we need to learn is many of us are in a season of unbelief. And God is telling you through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that you need to believe in God's goodness. Even when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And all of a sudden, unbelief is transformed into faith. And then faith eventually becomes sight. So just quickly, if you will review with me on your outline, these are eight truths that can transform your doubt into destiny. Number one, they were godly people who were walking with the Lord. So even godly people face hard times. Just because you're godly doesn't mean life's always going to be great. Sometimes you're godly and sometimes horrible things happen. Christians are martyred around the world because of their faith. So it doesn't promise that you won't be exempt from problems. Number two, their greatest dream as a couple had turned into a nightmare. Some here today are sitting in the midst of a nightmare, a death of a loved one, something bad that's happened to you. Number three, God gave Zacharias a, Zacharias a ray of hope in the midst of his sadness, and that's called God's grace. He's going to give you a ray of hope when you least expect it. Number four, God sent a messenger to deliver a message of promise. I pray that today God sent a message to encourage you. Don't give up. God's not done with you yet. Number five, Zacharias doubted God's word for himself and lost his ability to proclaim God's word to others. Don't doubt with the doubters, but believe with the believers. Number six, God turned Elizabeth's nightmare into a dream come true. She had John, which means God is gracious. Number seven, their test turned into a testimony. What if someone today, your worst moment in life, your misery will one day turn into your ministry. What about if your prison turns into your platform? God can do it. Number eight, look at Zacharias' progression of faith. His unbelief transformed into faith, and his faith turned into sight. So let's make it personal. What, Timothy, what does this mean for me at 2017, getting ready to go to 2018? I, I'm I'm not even a woman. I don't think about pregnancy or I'm way past this. I mean, what relevance? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Number one, God sometimes uses pain in my life to prepare me for my destiny. What if the present pain you're going through is part of God's purpose to prepare you for something greater? Not that God sends the pain, but sometimes he allows the pain and the pain becomes a shaping catalytic element in your life. Never waste a trial. Never waste a crisis. Number two, just because you can't see it doesn't mean you won't see it. Believing is seeing in God's kingdom. So many of you are saying, well, I've given up praying for that 20 years ago. Well, look at this story. We can imply that they may have given up too. But you know what? God still cares about you. His timing is different than your own. Number three, sometimes the greatest miracles come as a result of what seems like delayed answers to prayers. Some of you, you've yet to see God's greatest miracle in your life. It's not here yet. Some of us won't see it until we get on the other side. God's timing is different. And finally, and this is something your grandfather used to tell you, often the best things in life are those you have to wait long and hard for. If it was easy, 
you would probably wouldn't appreciate it that much. But if you have to wait long and hard and struggle, you appreciate it so much more. So to summarize all of this in one sentence, your take-home truth. Christmas teaches us that God can transform your greatest misery into your greatest miracle. So let's pray together. Father, your word is powerful. I know we covered almost half a chapter of the Bible today, a lot of material. But God, I pray the one truth that we'll take away is that in just a moment, you can do a miracle. There are some people here today are on the precipice of a promise. There are some people here today that have given up. And you're telling them, remember Zacharias. Remember Elizabeth. Don't give up. Keep on pressing on and believing with the believers, not doubting with the doubters. As we pray and every head is bowed, I want to talk to the believers first of all. How many would say, Timothy... I've been through some trials in life that have caused me to doubt. My faith has been rattled. And this Christmas, I want to believe again like never before. Christmas is all about believing. I want to believe like I did back when I first was a Christian. Pray that God would renew that faith. Fetch you, raise your hand. I want to believe. Father, you see the hands lifted to the heavens. Forgive us for a doubt. Help us to believe with the believers. Help us to trust in your word. Your word is true. As the believers continue to pray, I want to talk to someone that may not have never received Jesus into your life as your Lord and Savior. The greatest Christmas present you can receive, friend, is Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right where you're sitting, if you want a relationship with Jesus, you just have to believe that he died on the cross, he rose again for you, and you have to surrender your life to him. So if you're willing to believe and surrender and turn your life over to Him, pray this prayer in your heart. Say, Jesus, this Christmas, I want a new birth. I want a new life. Please forgive me of all my sins. I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it your way. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you're good, and that you have a plan for me. I surrender my life and I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, you've heard all of our prayers. I pray that this Christmas season, that you would turn our misery into a miracle. And you would turn our doubt into destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time we have our song of response. I'll be at the front with Miss Judy and Pastor Adam, our prayer team. If you guys have any prayer needs, we'd be happy to pray for you. If you're going through a certain trial, if you have family members that are going through issues, we're here. So as the Lord leads, if you will stand, we're going to sing and respond.